episodes and I cannot believe it. I cannot believe we're reaching this huge milestone. So to celebrate this, we are doing our very first giveaway and it's super simple to enter. Between now and the end of May, May 31st, all you have to do is like, comment, and share any of our Facebook posts. That's it. And you're entered to win like, comment, and share any of our Facebook posts, you're entered to win. Each like, comment, and share gives you an entry. So the more you interact, the more entries you get. We have a grand prize, which is just some things that I like, and some other prizes. So be sure that you're following us on Facebook, Never Found, Never Forgotten, Never Found Pod. Thanks so much. Welcome back to another episode of Never Found, Never Forgotten. I'm your host, Melanie, and today I'm going to tell you about the bizarre disappearance of 19-year-old Brandon Swanson. This case reminds me so much of the disappearance of Bryce Laspisa, one of the first cases that I researched and covered for this podcast. It's a young man driving late at night and he gets kind of confused about his location and he's on the phone with his parents and he mysteriously vanishes. There are a lot of similarities with this case but I hadn't heard about Brandon Swanson until I started my research. On May 14th, 2008, Brandon went out with some friends to celebrate the end of classes at Minnesota West Community and Technical College. And this is where Brandon was taking classes in the wind turbine programs. And he had hopes to transfer to a four-year school in Iowa for the fall semester. So he was going to go out with some friends at night and just kind of relax, celebrate the end of the semester. According to his friends, he left Canby, Minnesota around midnight to begin his drive back home to Marshall. This is about a 30-mile drive, and it's a drive that he did every single day. And he only had to take one route, Highway 68, and this drive should take him 35-40 minutes tops. But along the way, Brandon accidentally drives his car off the road and into a ditch. And despite several attempts, he's unable to get his car back onto the road. So at 1.54 a.m., he calls his parents. He assures them that he's fine because I'm sure they were freaked out at getting a call in the middle of the night. So he says, Listen, I'm fine. The car appears to be fine too. He just needs help getting the car back on the road. He tells his parents that he's midway between Lind and Marshall. And Lind is about 7 to 10 minutes away from Marshall. 
So his parents are like, stay in the car, we'll be right there. And so they get in the car and they head toward Lind. Except for when they get to where Brandon described he should be, there are no signs of him. And so they call him and they're like, we're flashing our lights, they're honking their horn, and Brandon's like, no, I don't see you. And his parents are baffled. And they're like, okay, you flash your lights and we'll find you. His parents say that they can even hear the clicking sound of him flashing his headlights, but they see nothing. And they're driving back and forth, just searching for Brandon. They know that he's taking this one route. You know, where else would he be? And Brandon's getting a little bit frustrated with him. Like, I can just hear this conversation with him. You know, he's like a little bit frustrated. Like, you have one job. I told you exactly where I'm at. Why can't you find me? And so Brandon finally says, you know what? I see lights in the distance. I'm just going to walk to Lind. Meet me in the parking lot of the bar. Even though his parents had agreed that he should remain in the vehicle, Brandon starts walking. And the whole time he remains on the phone with his parents. So Brandon's dad drops his mom back off at home so at least one of them can get some rest. And he's driving again toward Lind. And the whole time, Brandon is describing what he's seeing and what he's hearing. And he tells his dad that he's decided to cut through some fields, thinking it would be shorter than taking the road. Like, he can see straight towards Lind and these lights. He can see straight toward where he's going, so he's walking through these fields to get there. And he's even telling his dad, listen, I'm climbing over fences, and I hear running water. And his dad, Brian, is just keeping his eyes peeled. He's driving back and forth, looking for any sign of his son or his son's car. All of a sudden, he hears Brandon say, oh, shit, and the call ends. Brian calls back immediately, but the call goes straight to voicemail. He calls back several times, and the same thing happens again and again. Brian continues driving around Lind and the road between Lind and Marshall, searching for Brandon. But he finds nothing, no sign of Brandon at all. Finally, at 6.30 a.m., he calls police. And at first, police are reluctant to take a missing persons report. The story, first of all, is kind of bonkers. And second of all, their son is an adult and he's allowed not to come home at night. And the police are also sort of like, you're overprotective parents, your son is 19, it's the end of the semester, he went out with some friends, he just didn't come home, settle down. But his parents are insistent, something isn't right. So police do this cursory search around the town of Lynn. It's very small. And they quickly establish that Brandon is not there. And... They are able to eventually get his cell phone records, and what they find is shocking. They're able to locate Brandon's car using the cell phone data. And Brandon's car isn't in Lind. 
It's in Taunton. And Taunton, Minnesota is 13 miles from Canby, like 20 miles away from Lind in the opposite direction. And his friends are confused. They're like, if he left Canby at midnight, why did it take him two hours to get to Taunton? Police search the car and they find no evidence that Brandon was injured in the accident. Again, the car seems fine. There's no blood, nothing. And they start an extensive ground search, water search, air search. But all of these initial searches come up empty. It's like he just vanished. Canines are brought in, and this leads to probably the most credible theory of what happened to Brandon. Canines hit on Brandon's scent near the Yellow Medicine River. And the river was reportedly high and fast around the time of Brandon disappeared. It is also up to 15 feet deep in some places. So extensive searches are done, but they find no evidence that Brandon was in the water. They've never found any evidence. And if Brandon did drown, his body has never washed up. Another possibility is that he fell into the river, climbed out, and then later succumbed to hypothermia somewhere else. Ground searches have not recovered any evidence of this yet. However, one of the challenges of this case is the large amount of ground this case covers. And listen, I'm from New York, so when I think of the Midwest, I think huge, you know. And there are large expanses of land, and these large expanses of land are covered in crops for most of the year. So landowners are urged to be on the lookout for anything out of place, anything out of the ordinary, especially during planting or harvest times when the ground is more clear and more visible. But still, nothing, no evidence ever turns up of Brandon. There are a few other theories, but I'm less sure, but I'm not sure these are as likely. The first theory is that Brandon staged his disappearance, but this just makes little sense to me. First of all, this is a strange way to stage your disappearance, to get in an accident and call your parents and remain on the phone with them for 45 minutes while they're trying to find you. That just seems like, if you're going to disappear, why call your parents to begin with? He also didn't really have a reason to disappear. He had good grades, a steady job that he'd had for four years at a food store. He had friends. He was set to transfer to a four-year wind turbine program in the fall. So this theory just doesn't seem likely to me. Another theory is that he was struck and hit by another driver while walking. The driver panics and hides the body. The problem with this theory is that Brandon was on the phone with his parents and they didn't hear anything that sounded like a car hitting him and they just heard him say, oh shit. There's no evidence of an accident along the road, no skid marks, no debris, no blood. He also wasn't walking along the road. He was climbing fences and he said he was in the fields. So this one seems like a stretch to me. I mean, anything is possible, 
but I have a hard time believing this one. The last theory is foul play, which police don't put a whole lot of stock into. Taunton is super small, a super small town, and not really a hive of criminal activity, though again, anything is possible. There's absolutely no evidence of foul play. Brandon didn't know he was in Taunton, so nobody else would know that he was in Taunton, so it wasn't like a crime that was planned. I mean, it could be a crime of opportunity, but it just doesn't seem super likely. Brandon is described as being a Caucasian male, five foot six inches tall, weighing 120 pounds. He has brown hair and blue eyes. He wore glasses and was legally blind in his left eye. He has a small scar above his left eye and his ears are pierced. Anyone with information can contact the Lincoln County Sheriff's Office at 507-694-1664. That is my episode for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for tuning in again and again. Please find me on Facebook, Never Found, Never Forgotten Podcast, and on Twitter, at PodNever. Be sure to like, share, and spread the word. Thanks. Bye.